Walters would like to wish Juan Soto and Josh Bell all the luck in San Diego and look forward to their returns to Nationals Park next weekend. Walters will never forget the memories of 2019 Soto helped create and appreciate everything you both did in the community since your arrival. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The 1-1. Swing a high fly ball, left field deep. Back on this one, Thomas to the track, feeling for the wall, and there it goes. 5-2 Phillies, three-run homer, Alec Bohm, is eighth of the year. Now the pitch. Inside, low, and it gets away from Rio Muto through his legs. Here comes Void. He slides in without a play, and the Nationals are now within a run. Now the pitch to Palacio, swung on, hit in the air to right field. Coming up, Castellanos, not deep. He makes the catch. Runner tag's going to try and score. Throw to the plate. Rio Muto has it. And the tag on Yadiel Hernandez coming in standing. He is out, and the inning is over. Well, as Palo Espino was warming for the bottom of the fifth inning, the heavens have opened and rain is coming down, and the Phillies' grounds crew is scurrying to get the tarp on the field. So at 8.47 p.m. Eastern Time, we go into a rain delay after four and a half innings with the Phillies leading the Nationals by the score of 5-4. to four. And welcome to Nats Chat for Friday, August 5th, 2022, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who actually is at Nationals Park, uh, where he hosted Nats Extra pre- and post-game shows. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, when it rains, it pours. And this week, it now has rained both metaphorically and literally for our Nationals. Thursday night, game one of a four-game series at the Philadelphia Phillies. And that's lost 5-4 in a rain-shortened game that lasted for just four and a half innings. Time of game, one hour, 39 minutes. Time of rain delay, two hours, six minutes. We did have the Nats debut of Luke Voigt. He looked pretty good. We do have some news on some of the players who the Nats got from the San Diego Padres on Tuesday afternoon in the trading away of you-know-who. But Mark, I'm a big believer in if a rain delay surpasses two hours, that's it. You call the game. Unless you're talking about like major playoff implications or something like that. So I was happy to see rain delay gets to two hours and change. Game mercifully called. That was the right call. And it probably was a call that could have made a bit sooner. Yeah, because there was no secret here. Everybody could tell that there was going to continue to rain well into the night there in Philadelphia, but they waited it out. But now this to me is the kookiest part of it all. Like you said, four and a half innings. This was literally the bare minimum required 
for Major League Game to be considered official. They just got the final out of the top of the fifth, and then the rains came, and the home team was ahead. So that's it. Now, if either the Nationals had just kept the inning going, or if they had tied it, or if they hadn't gotten Yadiel Hernandez thrown out at the plate for the third out of the inning and the inning was still alive when the rain hits, by rule, MLB would have had to suspend the game and complete it all the way through its nine innings on Friday. But because of that one last out made at the plate, I'm sure we're going to be talking about that play, that made the game official and you cannot resume the game at that point unless you waited out that night. They could not wait till the next day. So in this bizarre way, that play was the key to it all. And if somehow the inning had not been over, they would have had to resume the game on Friday and finish it to its completion. Leave it to the Nats ineptitude on the base paths to finally pay off, to finally give us something good in this 2022 season. We have earned that without question. Well, I think the thing that mattered the most from this game on Thursday night was the Nats debut of Luke Voigt. Not to be confused with John Voigt, although I'm not sure what kind of car uh, Luke Voigt is driving, but we can deal with that at another time. So Luke Voigt, the lone established major leaguer who the Nats got in the trade on Tuesday afternoon with the San Diego Padres for, yes, you know who. And Luke Voigt, you know, look, he's known for being a professional hitter. He has been a very good hitter in his career. I mean, I don't want to oversell who he is and what he has been, but the guy can hit and hit he did on Thursday night in his Nats debut. So he was the Nats starting first baseman for the game. He was the Nats number three batter in the game and he had two hits. Uh, He went two for three with an RBI single and another single. Did commit an error, but Luke Voigt in the Nats one run first, a one out RBI single to left field on a one-two pitch for a one-nothing Nats lead in his first plate appearance as a Nat. That was good. Luke Voigt in the Nats two-run fifth, a first pitch opposite field single off the right field wall. The rare one-base hit off the wall. So one game in, Luke Voigt living up to what we know him to be, and that is a guy who can hit. Now, are we talking about Luke Voigt the ball player or Luke Voigt the periodontist? The ball player, right? Okay. <laughs> Unless he's an anti-dentite. I'm not sure. Yes. He may be a rabid anti-dentite. I don't know. I don't know if he chews on pencils either. Let's check out the glove box. Ah, uh, pencil. Hey. You don't think, sure, that's John Voigt's pencil. (laughs) John Voigt's teeth marks. (laughs) Yeah, look, he was kind of what we thought he would be for them. A guy, like you said, who gets hits, also is a little bit shaky in the field. Not the first first baseman the Nationals have had who fits that description. So maybe it'll feel right at home there. If he had just got a little more of that second one and cleared the fence, a whole different story as well. But I'd like to see, especially the first one, with a runner in scoring position, gets the bat on the ball and puts it somewhere to drive in a run. So I thought that was good. And listening to him talking to the reporters up there before the game, you could tell he was doing his best to say all the right things, but you could tell he's disappointed. And why wouldn't he be? He spent his entire career with the Cardinals, the Yankees, and now the Padres. He's always been on teams that were in the thick of races. He's been in the postseason. The season in San Diego obviously was excited, and you're getting Juan Soto and Josh Bell, so why wouldn't you want to be a part of that? And then you find out, no, because Eric Hosmer vetoed the trade to the Nationals, which was his right, they inserted Luke Voigt into the deal instead, and now he doesn't get to be with the Padres and Juan Soto and Josh Bell the rest of the year. He gets to be with the worst team in baseball. So I can understand the frustration there, but hopefully that first game with them helped a little bit. He's going to be a big part of this lineup, at least for the rest of this season and maybe beyond. You hope over time he gets more comfortable with it, and 
they need a guy like this, given the state of their lineup otherwise. And so it was nice to see him come through in two out of the three opportunities in this game. So we have not yet discussed the Eric Hosmer angle to the trade on Tuesday afternoon because there have been like four million other angles to what happened on Tuesday afternoon. But what's your understanding exactly of why Hosmer vetoed coming to the Nats and what the Nats thinking was in, I guess, wanting Hosmer before wanting Void? Well, that second part, I'm going to start with that. That's not necessarily the case. The way this worked I think the Nationals understood a few things here when they were making this trade. They needed to get at least one big league player who could come here right now because they knew they were losing a lot and preferably a first baseman because they didn't have anybody else to take over that position within the organization. They told the Padres, here's a list of three players and we'll take any of them and you can decide in what order they're going to be. Eric Hosmer was the Padres' first choice and you can understand why because He's got a big contract that they're kind of saddled with for a while now, and he wasn't going to play anymore, not with Josh Bell there. So they had him be the guy. But Hosmer had a no trade clause or limited no trade clause. There were 10 teams that he could veto a trade to. The Nationals happened to be one of them. He said, no, I'm not going to the worst team in baseball, the team with the worst record. Uh, I veto this. The Padres end up working out a different deal to send him to Boston which I guess is a little more competitive, although they're in last place at the moment. So I don't know how that's all going to work out. And so then they go to the next name on the list, and that was Luke Voigt. I don't know who the third name was. Uh, Maybe it was Will Myers, which would be pretty ironic itself, given his connection to the Nationals and their history of trades. So from the Nationals' perspective, though, I think they prefer having Voigt. Hosmer was going to cost a lot more, be here longer, and not be as productive, maybe. Whereas Voigt, makes, I think, about $5 million this year and is still arbitration eligible for two more years. So if they wanted to hang on to them, he could still be here for a couple more years at fairly reasonable prices. So I think it actually worked out in the Nationals' favor in the end that Hosmer vetoed the trade. They didn't have as much use for Hosmer. I think they do actually have use for Voigt. Yeah, I mean, from a Nats perspective, I think that I would rather have Luke Voigt than Eric Hosmer. And if you think about it from the standpoint of Okay, potentially flipping the guy, trading the guy, because that's really what you're talking about here with Luke Voigt. He's not a building block. He's a guy who's going to be here for a little while, and hopefully the Nats can parlay him into some further prospects. I think Luke Voigt potentially has more value than Eric Hosmer. Eric Hosmer is kind of, I don't want to say shot, but you know, I think with Voigt, there's kind of a feeling of, first of all, I think he's a better hitter right now than Hosmer is, but you know, Hosmer is kind of, it's kind of like played out with him. You know, it, it just, it hasn't worked out all that well with him, with the Padres and over these last few years. I think with Void, at least you know what you're getting. He's a guy who can hit and he's hitting multiple stops. Yeah. So Hosmer, if you remember, signed with the Padres, a big deal, eight years, something like that, a while back. And he was the first big name they went and got. This is before they got all the other guys, Manny Machado, you know, all the big superstars they've brought in there since then. And he was sort of their Jason Worth, as in here's a guy who won a World Series in Kansas City. He's going to come in and help lead this new up-and-coming franchise to show them how to win. And it really didn't work out the way they wanted it to at all. And in the meantime, they went and got a bunch of other more talented, younger players who are really the backbone of their team. So he's kind of stuck there or was until the trade was made. So yes, from the Nationals perspective, absolutely, it makes more sense for them to get Luke Voigt than it would have to get Eric Hosmer. And that's the five prospects are obviously the key to the trade. And in the long run, that's going to determine whether this winds up being a good deal for them or not. But To get one major league player out of it, I think Voight makes the most sense given what the options were. Yeah, with the Padres, just as an aside, it really is interesting. Their president of baseball operations and general manager is A.J. Preller. 
He was hired by them all the way back in August 2014. He has had some missteps. It has not been, you know, this like linear rise for Preller and the Pods over the last eight years. He has been afforded opportunity that not many executives would have been afforded because he's tried to make big runs and things have flopped. And now all of a sudden, over the last few years, things have finally come together. But it's an interesting arc for him as Padres GM because he's been given time that I think very few guys would have been given. He's been very aggressive. The initial aggression really did not work out. But these last few years, things are working out. And now you could argue that the Padres are the story of baseball. This is like his third different go-for-it season. (laughs) He's had a bunch of different opportunities. The first two did not work out. And like you said, he was given the opportunity to actually try to do it again. He's probably the boldest GM in baseball right now. And that's why I said all along, if there's anybody out there that's crazy enough to give up what Mike Rizzo's asking for, for Juan Soto, this is probably the one. And it turns out they did give up a lot, at least what everyone believes. But there's a lot of pressure on them now. They better win and win soon to make this all worth it, especially they've completely mortgaged their future, giving up between all the various trades they made. I think it's something like eight of their top 10 prospects are now with other teams just in the last few weeks. The thing is, they're probably not going to catch the Dodgers to win the division. So now you're a wild card team. And it is a different format this year. It's a best of three. But for them to get all the way through and make this worthwhile and try to win their first ever World Series in franchise history, they're going to have to take down some really good teams like the Braves, like the Mets, like the Dodgers, maybe the Brewers or the Cardinals. Like It's a long road for them to get to where they need to go. Maybe it'll work out. They certainly have all kinds of talent. They could. But they could also be knocked out three games in if they get a bad matchup in a wild card series. And then you're going to say, boy, was that worth it from their perspective? Yeah, I also think that there are business reasons for the Padres doing as they're doing. Since the San Diego Chargers left, you know, the Padres have become the story in San Diego sports. And so for the Padres to continue to go along the path that they had gone along for years, I mean, there have been very few good Padres seasons up until the last few seasons over the last, say, 25, 30 years. Made the World Series in 98, had a few other good years, but otherwise, you know, it really hasn't been much to sink your teeth into. Now that the Chargers are gone, San Diego can belong entirely to the Padres. And I do think it's smart on the Padres' part to try to capitalize on that, to make San Diego nothing but Padres central and everyone into the Padres. And, you know, we'll see if it works, but there definitely is a lot of buzz for what they're doing here right now. Anyway, we can save uh, the rest of that conversation for Padres chat. This is Nats chat. And we had some updates on Thursday on some of the other guys who the Nats got on Thursday afternoon. So Mackenzie Gore has joined the Nats, kind of, sort of. So Mackenzie Gore is a starting pitcher. He's currently injured. He's dealing with elbow inflammation, but he was with the Nats on Thursday. He is a very well-regarded pitching prospect, came into this season as a number 86 prospect in baseball per MLB pipeline. He actually went into last season as the number six prospect per MLB pipeline. Age 23 season, Padres took Gore with the number three pick in the 2017 draft out of a high school in North Carolina. So elbow inflammation, you hear that, you're obviously concerned. I know that the Nats have downplayed that. What have you heard about the nature of this injury and what's the plan here with Mackenzie Gore for the rest of this season? So the reason that he joined them in Philadelphia was both so he could meet the coaching staff and his future teammates, but also to meet the medical staff so they could take a look at him and map out a plan. And at the time that everyone spoke to him uh, before the game, that hadn't all occurred yet. So they were still working on what that's going to be. So I imagine it'll be a few days until we know exactly what the plan is. Listening to what he said, 
He was kind of downplaying the severity of it, just called it a little inflammation. It just happened within the last couple of weeks. Um, now, his numbers were worse over the last month. He had some really good numbers early on and then started to struggle, maybe as a result of the elbow inflammation. So he seemed to make it sound like he intends to come back and pitch, you know, certainly before the year's over, maybe not that far down the road. Mike Rizzo on the day of the trade said they were going to be very careful with him, take it slow with him. So what does that mean exactly? I would think, reading between the lines here, as long as they do believe he's healthy and there's no major concerns here, you would really like for him to make at least a few starts for you before the end of the season, both from a PR standpoint, you want to be able to show people, hey, here's one of the top prospects we got in return, and he's already big league ready. Maybe he has a few good starts in him. But even just from his standpoint, do you want to hold him off all the way until next spring and then start out cold at that point? Maybe let him get his feet wet a little bit here. But that's only going to happen if they are sure that there's no concern. As a young pitcher, we know how much they protect them. He pitched a lot early this season for the Padres, for a team in a pennant race. They really couldn't afford to skip his starts or hold him back and you know not let his pitch count get too high. It's a very different situation. So I could see the Nats being cautious for that reason. But ideally, you do want to see him you know make at least a few starts before the end of the season. So we know that the shortstop, uh, C.J. Abrams, will be playing for Rochester and hopefully will be up to the majors sooner rather than later. The Nats' high A affiliate, the Wilmington Blue Rocks, they on Thursday officially welcomed outfielder Robert Hassel III. He's actually now the Nats' number one prospect. He's the number 21 prospect in baseball per MLB pipeline, age 20 season. Padres took him with the number eight pick in the 2020 draft out of a high school in Tennessee. And the Nats' low A affiliate, the Fredericksburg Nationals, the Fred Nats, uh, they on Friday will be welcoming outfielder James Wood. He is the number 88 prospect in baseball per MLB pipeline, age 19 season. Padres took him in the second round of the 2021 draft out of IMG Academy in Florida. This is the local kid, grew up in Rockville, Maryland. Initial high school was St. John's College High School in D.C. And this guy is a big guy, 6'7", 240 pounds. So, you know, you now have a good number of promising players to be following for the Nationals at the minor league levels. I would think this is good news for these Nats minor league affiliates. I mean, you have some people you can really kind of market and sell here in terms of, hey, Hassel, top prospect in the organization, playing for Wilmington. James Wood, local guy, big guy, playing for the low-A Fred Nats here. But clearly, Hassel and Wood, and also the pitcher who the Nats got, uh, Harleen Susana, multiple seasons away, we would think, from playing for the Nats at the major league level. Yeah, so Hassel's probably the one who will arrive first. If he's at high A ball now, if it goes well, then maybe he's at double A Harrisburg next year. And, you know, sometimes they will call somebody up pretty quickly from there. So I I guess it's possible in a best case scenario, we could see him before the 2023 season is over. Maybe more likely it would be 24. The other guys have a longer way to go. They're still teenagers. You know, James Wood at low A ball at age 19 start the slow trek up through that. They're not going to rush that, obviously. And Harlan Susana, you know, in rookie ball. Now, they may get him to Fredericksburg before the end of the year, depending on how that goes. But I think these guys, you're talking 2025, probably at the soonest. The key here, though, is think about now, you add them to this mix of what you already have put together the last few years. And that would be Brady House. That would be Elijah Green, this year's first round pick. It would be Kate Cavalli. And Cole Henry from 2020, it would be Christian Vaquero, the top international prospect they got this year. They're not all going to pan out. We know that. But you have a deeper pool of candidates of potentially big-time prospects 
that if a few of them do pan out, then you've done all right. I remember Stan Kasten many years ago referring to the idea of getting quality out of quantity. The Nationals have actually had some quality over the years. They just haven't had the quantity of prospects. And so there's always been a lot of pressure for those top picks to pan out and become big stars. And in a lot of cases, they did, especially when they were drafting lower, uh, you know, in the first round of the top 10 picks. As we've seen more recently, they haven't all panned out. Now, at least they have a deeper pool of candidates that you hope two, three, maybe four from this whole pack of them does turn into something big. And then, of course, there'll be next year's first round pick, which will probably be a top three pick based on where they are in the standings. Yeah. And you just obviously hope they stay healthy and they are developed well and that, you know, at least a few of these guys do end up panning out. I mean, look, nobody feels great about this week. Nobody is thrilled about Juan Soto being gone. But I think you can be angry or sad or at least have questions while also at the same time being intrigued, if not excited by these prospects. You know, it's tricky to assess did the Nats get enough for Juan Soto and Josh Bell? But what I think is safe to say is the Nats got a good bit for Juan Soto and Josh Bell. Like, you didn't get nothing. You got back some pretty promising players here. And so I think it is going to be fun and interesting to follow how these guys do. I'm excited for when C.J. Abrams gets called up. I think that's going to add some juice to the rest of this Nats season. And we'll see. And, you know, if one or more of these guys catches fire early, like if Abrams happens to come up and hit well over the final, say, six weeks of this season, we know that that doesn't guarantee anything, but it's going to be nice to have something like that. It'll be exciting to have something like that. So I'm looking forward to him playing in particular. Hopefully we see him sooner rather than later. And hopefully he does well because, you know, this fan base needs that. People are down right now. They need some excitement, something interesting, something to feel good about here. The best thing that could happen for everybody right now would be that two months from now when the season ends, you can look at this team and say, hey, we just saw some really good signs from a lineup that suddenly includes C.J. Adams, Luis Garcia, Cabert Ruiz, and a rotation that includes Josiah Gray, Cade Cavalli, and Cole Henry, and maybe Mackenzie Gore as well. That's a big difference from what we've been watching for the first four months of this season. May not result in a lot of more wins. This may still be a wretched record at the end of the year, but at least there's this possibility of seeing potential building blocks playing. And if a decent number of them can show enough by the end of the season that you say, okay, we see something, there's a glimmer there, we can see where this is going, it makes everybody feel better, both within the organization and the fan base, because now you at least have some semblance of hope, and not just hope that's still three years away, but hope that's already here. Yeah. And, you know, as often as we did see promising Nats prospects hit the ground running years ago, Strasburg, Harper, Rendon, etc. It's been a while since we ha- we've had something like that. We've seen a lot of guys be touted and then get called up and not do so well lately. You think about Lucas Giolito, you think about Carter Keboom, you think about Luis Garcia, you know, you could even maybe say Josiah Gray and K-Bear Ruiz, not that they've been bad, but you know, it's been mixed. It's not like they've been, oh my goodness, wow, these guys are certifiably great. It's like, well, they could be great, but not great yet. You know, there's good and there's not so good. So we'll see. There's pressure, definite pressure on the likes of CJ Abrams, et cetera. But um, there is time to see how those guys end up panning out. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Great deal going on with Window Nation right now. The back to school sale, two free windows for every two windows that you buy, plus pay nothing 
until 2024. Visit windownation.com or call 866-90-NATION and tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you and that you want the back-to-school sale. You want the deal that you heard about on the Nats Chat Podcast. Window Nation is the best. Lower your energy bills, raise the value of your home with Window Nation energy-efficient windows. You'll get an A-plus in savings. Window Nation has an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau. Window Nation installers have installed over a million windows in over 150,000 homes, with 96% of those homes needing no follow-up service. Window Nation does the job and does the job right the first time. WindowNation.com or 866-90-NATION. Tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you and say, hey, I want the back-to-school sale Two free windows for every two windows that you buy, plus pay nothing until 2024. Yeah, you're not going to pay Window Nation a penny until the Nats are good again. 2024. That's windownation.com or 866-90-NATION. That's windownation.com or 866-90-NATION. And tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. And now Robles breaks for third. The pitch swung on. Little looper out of the shallow left. A base hit over the head of Stott. Rounding third and coasting in to score is Victor Robles. And the Nationals lead one to nothing. With Robles breaking to steal third of the pitch. Voigt gets the bat on it and loops one into shallow left center for a base hit in his first Nationals at bat. So yeah, the base running boo-boo by the Nats uh, in this 5-4 rain shortened loss at the Philadelphia Phillies 
on Thursday night. So Nelson Cruz has been missing some games here lately. He's dealing with a stiff neck. Uh, Yadiel Hernandez was an ad starting DH and number four batter on Thursday night. Went two for three, had an RBI single and another single. Top of the third, went out first pitch, opposite field single to left field. And then Yadiel in an ad's two-run fifth, an opposite field RBI single through the left side of the infield on an 0-2 pitch to cut the Nats deficit to 5-3. Yadiel's looked pretty good lately. He's had a good number of opposite field hits lately, but he got thrown out at home for the third out. Got thrown out at home on a Josh Palacios flyout double play for the third out. Uh, As Mark noted earlier in the show, had Yadiel been safe, there's a pretty good chance this game would have been tied at five, likely ended up being suspended as opposed to being called. But what did you see in this latest instance of a Nationals player being thrown out at home this season? I mean, it's one thing to get thrown out on a bang-bang play with a slide and you got to look at the replay to make sure that they got the call right. It's another thing to get thrown out by so much that he doesn't even bother to slide. And that's what this was. And I know Nick Castellanos is not a good outfielder. He's one of the rated worst in baseball. And yet, and you know, I'm not there in person, so I'm watching it on TV like all the rest of you. But watching it on TV, as soon as he catches the ball, I'm thinking that's not deep enough. That's not going to do it. And sure enough, it wasn't deep enough. Now, I think we've talked about the frustration in that so many of these runners who are thrown out, it feels like it's always Yadiel Hernandez or Nelson Cruz or it was Josh Bell. It's never Victor Robles, Lane Thomas. It's never the fast guys (laughs) that are getting thrown out. And not because they are being sent and they're scoring. They're just never the ones who are in position to score. It feels like these critical ones are always the slower runners. Now, you say, well, there were two outs uh, at that point and you're or the odds of getting another hit that great. Maybe you force them to make the throw. I mean, okay, I get it. But the end result is still the same thing. And I know the outcomes of these games don't really matter in the big picture, but that mattered for this. And it could matter in the end for the Phillies, who entered the day tied with the Cardinals for the last wild card spot. If they end up making the playoffs by one game, this is a game that very easily could have gone the other way that didn't. So the Nats end up in five offensive innings with 11 hits, off Noah Syndergaard, and they score four runs because of because of making outs on the bases and because of the fact that all but one of the hits were singles, they couldn't hit for any power. The base running item really is something this season. It's the frequency with which Nats base runners make outs. It's the distance of, okay, he's out by a mile. It feels like we've said that so many times this season. I'd, I'd love to add up the he's out by distances for Nats players at home plate this season, okay? Because I feel like it would be like eight miles long. Like, they don't just get tagged out. They get tagged out, and they're out, and there's no question about it. I brought this up before, but I really think it's worth highlighting here. Fangraphs has the all-encompassing base running metric, base running runs. Nats went into Thursday dead last in the majors in that metric at minus 23. It's not just that, though. The next worst team was the Minnesota Twins at minus 12 Point seven. The Nats entered Thursday more than twice as bad as the next worst team in base running this season. So it's not just that the Nats are bad. It's not even just that the Nats are the worst base running team in the majors this season. It's that the Nats are more than twice as bad as the next worst base running team in the majors this season. And, you know, that does not speak well for Davey Martinez and his coaching staff. I think the bulk of the decline of the Nats falls on the front office. But I don't think you could just absolve Davey and his coaching staff when you keep seeing stuff like this. Mike Rizzo isn't coaching these guys on the base pass. Now, you can maybe say some of this is player development, but at some point, Davey and his staff have got to get their arms around something like this, and it doesn't feel like that's happening. 
Well, especially when somebody makes a critical mistake and you know the coaching staff is talking to them about it after the fact. And then if that same player is making the same mistake again, something's not working there. You can understand, okay, he did it one time, but he won't ever do it again. But there are way too many of the same things that are happening. And so Eric Young Jr. in his first year as a first base coach, he is the primary base running coach. Gary DeSarcina, first year as a third base coach, most responsible for choosing whether to wave guys around or not. But it's not just getting guys getting out of the plate. There are other examples. Even within that inning, Yadiel Hernandez on Lane Thomas's single only goes one base. And so he wasn't necessarily paying as much attention to be able to go the extra base. That could have changed the situation as well. Wound up on third because of wild pitch. So all of a sudden, a wild pitch maybe changes how that all goes. So there's a lot of stuff there, like these little things that are not being, either they're not being addressed or they're not being taken in and, and absorbed and remembered. And that can go on the players, but yes, it can also go to the coaches. And if you're going to have a team that is this fundamentally poor, <laughs> then you better be able to coach them up and make them into better players at those things. And we've seen base running and defense have been atrocious this year across the board. They have been. Let me correct my math. The Nats aren't twice as bad as the Twins. The Nats are almost twice as bad as the Twins, but you get the idea. And yet, you know, it's funny because what a Davies sayings is the little things. And he emphasizes that all of the time. And yet the Nats are woeful at the little things this season. And, you know, it's not all on Davey. Okay. Again, I think this starts at the top and who the players are, but at some point, I mean, get better, you know, and this is what we talk about. Show improvement. We don't see improvement. We don't see progression. We seem to see more regression than progression with individual players. And it feels like with the team as a whole, I mean, the base running stuff isn't getting better. It's getting worse. You mentioned the lack of power. We've talked about that so many times this season. But boy, did this really stand out on Thursday night. I mean, first of all, let me give the Nats credit. They're facing a pretty good pitcher in Noah Syndergaard, who the Phillies just got from the Angels. The Nats over a four and a half inning game, the Nats batted over five innings, totaled 11 hits off Syndergaard. I mean, that's pretty good. 11 hits in five innings against Noah Syndergaard. I mean, you give the Nats credit for that. But 10 of the 11 hits were singles. The Nats in this game had 11 hits versus the Phillies seven. The Nats in this game batted for five innings, whereas the Phillies batted for four. And yet the Nats lost the game 5-4 because the Phillies hit two homers and the Nats didn't hit any. You know, the lack of power isn't going to get better, you would think, now that Juan Soto and Josh Bell are gone. But, you know, obviously, this is the kind of thing we saw prior to Soto and Bell being dealt away. And, I mean, it it really stands out. Like, you talk about, like, finding new ways to display your lack of power. This is something different on Thursday night. A a four-and-a-half inning game, you do a really nice job totaling 11 hits off a pretty good pitcher in Noah Syndergaard, and yet you end up losing the game. And in that ballpark, which we know is a band box, and on a warm, muggy night where the ball's going to fly, you saw the Phillies hitting a bunch of balls. The the two homers, they had a few others to the warning track. You could just see the striking difference between these two teams offensively. And yes, it does have to do with who the players are. The Phillies have, you know, Kyle Schwarber and Nick Castellanos and Reese Hoskins and, you know, Bryce Harper's currently hurt. But I mean, they have sluggers in their lineup. The Nats do not. And yet... The Nationals do have players capable of hitting the ball in the air and hitting for power. First and foremost on the list, Cesar Hernandez, who had 21 of them last year and is still stuck on zero, despite having well over 400 plate appearances this year. So it's been a really frustrating part of this season, their inability to hit the ball in the air with any kind of power. You want to play small ball? Okay. But to do that, 
you got to do everything else right. You got to pitch well. You got to play great defense. You got to run the bases well to win that way. This team is not built to win like that. So, as an offensive strategy, it just does not work. And in this day and age, you better be able to hit the ball in the air to drive in runs and bunches. Even with Soto and Bell, they were bad at it. They're probably going to be even worse at it now they don't have those two anymore. Davey Martinez, a few weeks ago, during a post-game session with reporters, brought up how the Nats aren't doing a good enough job of elevating balls. And that was not breaking news, but it was notable that he highlighted that. You know, you think about this. The Nats, for years, had a guy who was considered like the guru of launch angle in Kevin Long. Kevin Long is gone. He is now the hitting coach for the Philadelphia Phillies. Now, new hitting coach Darnell Coles. I don't think that he's like a dummy. I'm sure he's aware of the importance of launch angle. But, you know, it does stand out. The Nats aren't hitting for power this season. I think the bulk of that does have to do with the caliber of players on the roster. But you had a guy who is considered an expert in launch angle. And he's gone now. And you wonder if that is at all a factor here, especially when the manager after a game, I want to say like a month or so ago, literally says, we're not doing a good enough job of elevating baseballs. You know, you wonder if the change at hitting coach maybe wasn't for the best for the organization. Well, let's start with just the fact that Kevin Long is one of the most respected hitting coaches in baseball. So there are very few who would be as good as him if you're going to replace him. And let's remember how this all worked out. He was looking for a multi-year deal, which he had always gotten in the past, including the first go around with the Nats. They only offered him one. And so they told him, well, you're free to go look for something else if you want. And lo and behold, he got a much better deal from uh, the Phillies. Now, Darnell Coles has a, a pretty good track record with several teams. I do remember in his introductory call with all of us, he talked about the importance of getting the bat on the ball, of avoiding strikeouts, and they have been better at that this year. Their batting average, as it were, if you care about these things, is actually fairly high relative to the rest of the way they play. But they do not hit for power. We talked about all the double plays they hit into, although for the record, they led the league in double plays last year as well, even when Kevin Long was the hitting coach. But what it seems to me is this is a fastball hitting team. A lot of these guys are good fastball hitters. Everybody knows it, so they don't see a ton of fastballs, especially when Soto and Bell were here. What they get are a lot of breaking balls down in the zone, and these hitters are not doing a good enough job either of laying off those pitches if they're too low or finding a way to elevate them. They instead, they reach for them. They end up hitting those weak ground balls. Maybe they hit them for singles and that's it. They have to either figure out a way to get that pitch up in the zone, the fastballs up in the zone, or they've got to get better at doing damage on pitches down in the zone. I think that's been a real problem for them this year. Yeah. And you know, it's not new. I mean, launch angle is not a new phenomenon. Everyone is aware of it by now. It's just been a real issue for this team this season. And again, this was an issue prior to the sell-off, prior to Soto and Bell being gone. I mean, I think it's important to note that this team just has not hit for much power so far this year. Speaking of hitting for power, had you like the near bunt double, or at least the bunt double that Victor Robles teased on Thursday night? I don't know if Victor is to be commended for this or scolded for this, because this could have ended up being one of these base running boo-boos for Victor. But first of all, Victor Robles said that Nats lone extra base hit on Thursday night. One run first, a leadoff opposite field double to right center field. And then Victor in the bottom of the second, a two-out first pitch, push bunt single toward the right side of the infield to beat the shift. Nice play. And now a bunt, first base side, nobody will be there. It'll roll towards right field. Around second Hernandez, he stopped as Segura had to chase it out into right field. There were so few Phillies players around the ball initially 
that Robles made this wide turn around first and actually teased trying to go to second base for a double. Now, he made it back to first. You know, there wasn't an issue with that, but there could have been an issue with that. And it was kind of like, boy, that was intriguing. That could have been a lot of fun, a bunt double, but that also could have been another one of these painful outs on the base pass and by a guy who has made more than a few of those in recent seasons. So first of all, I loved the actual bunt. I think he needs to do more of that. Push bunt to the right side. If it's open, you get it through. It's a guaranteed hit for you, especially when he's leading off. Yes, 100% do that. Secondly, I actually like the thought process because it was such a weird play where the ball rolled and just kind of died in shallow right field and there was nobody there. And so I like the idea of thinking you might turn into a double. The problem is he can't do that in a vacuum. He's got to know where everyone else is. And the runner in front of him, Cesar Hernandez, who had no reason to think I should be going first to third on a bunt, (laughs) he stops at second. And so once Victor rounds the base and sees, whoops, nope, I can't go. There's already somebody there. He has to slam on the brakes. And he is very fortunate that he was not thrown out in the end. So that's one of those, if there's nobody else on base, I could see the idea of it, but if you're going to even consider that possibility with a runner in front of you, you better make sure that he is aware of it and is running himself before you go for it on your part. So I liked the play. There was just that split second where he needs to be a little bit more aware of what's going on around him and not just thinking about himself. Robles is hitting better lately. I give him credit for that. And I tell you what, it's never boring with him. It's always interesting. It feels like every game we have something to talk about it with Victor. You know, we should have like a segment, the adventures of Victor Robles. There's always something with him. So, yeah, that was unique. The potential for a bunt double from Robles on Thursday night. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. Keep the feedback coming. Keep the thoughts coming on the Juan Soto trade. We continue to enjoy all of your insights and thoughts on what has gone down, the state of the team, etc. Podcast at gmail.com. If you would like to sponsor the Nats Chat Podcast, you can hit up Tim Shovers again, Podcast at gmail.com. You can get yourself or someone who you know a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to Podcast. Dot square dot site. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. We're going to leave you with something a little different here right now. Our friend Steve Zabin, who you may know does uh, morning radio in Milwaukee, 97.3 The Game. The Brewers this week made a major trade, dealt their ace reliever Josh Hader to, yes, the San Diego Padres. And it's interesting to hear the conversation in Milwaukee vis-a-vis the conversation that we've been having here in the Washington, D.C. area about what the Nats did. So we're going to leave you with this clip uh, from Zabe's show discussing the Brewers having traded away Josh Hader. And we thank you for listening to the Nats Chat Podcast. You know, my thought is, I must have missed how he helped us win the Brave series last year in the postseason. Oof. I know. Did I miss that part of Oof. it? How valuable nope. he was yeah. there? He did save one game, but they didn't hit. Yeah. So they... all you know, all the closing in the world ain't worth a spit, a bucket of spit, if you can't score some runs. And luckily, the guys we got for Hater, huge run producers. Well, that's the thing. Now the argument, the, all, the three one argument. Of, all three of the average at yeah. best pitchers. And then the one uh, outfielder, yeah, yeah, should should help with okay. that a lot. So here's, I know, here's the one argument I would readily entertain as a valid argument in this. It they should have traded Hater for a bat. Yeah, but I don't know what bat was gettable. I don't know what they would have cost. How temporary that bat would have been. You know, 
I'm just trusting, Dolph, that Stearns is not an idiot because he's got the team and the franchise in the best position it's been in 30 years well, for okay. consistent winning. And, and you know what? You win some, you lose. I mean, think to the Yelich trade. Think of the Marlins, what they thought they were getting in return for Kristen Yelich. I mean, it was a haul from the Brewers, right? Lewis Brunson? No, it didn't turn out to be that way. So right. you never know what these deals, if it's going to work or not. Now, on paper, you look at these guys from San Diego. Rogers, like um, Hader, has struggled. He's 28 saves, but he's really been bad in July. He's actually saving for his third team this year, right? He was a twin and then a padre. Uh, and then you got the two minor leaguers. One's ranked seventh in, in their organization. But, Josh, that outfielder you mentioned is a guy I'm intrigued by. Asturi Ruiz, 60 stolen bases this year? My God, I know it's the minor league level, but you don't see those types of numbers anymore. And he's 23 yeah. years old. So I'm intrigued by him.